for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Wow. What you've just heard is profound. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing that about the news of our church plant into Ottawa. Um, If you're going to grow good churches, you have to send out good seed. Good seed will produce after its own kind. And uh, I make no apologies for what I'm going to do today. I'm going to, um, we're going to give you a a history tour of um, New Frontiers and how we got to be how we are. There's going to be more church plants out from this church. Do you know this? You need to know that. Because that's God's prophetic word over us. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you, would you help me to be faithful to the history? Lord, because we know you speak through history into the present. And I pray you'd stir hearts You'd help people to understand what apostolic ministry is about, what New Testament Christianity is about, what your purposes are about. In your mighty name, Lord. Amen. You should use your past as an example to move more intelligently into the future. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, the last night um, when he was betrayed... It says in John 13, the evening meal, this is verse 2, was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. But Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and here we go, that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up and served. You see, in the heart of Jesus' ministry, the the, the secret of Jesus' ministry is that he knew where he was from, where his spiritual roots were from, and he knew where he was going, his spiritual destiny, and because of that, he could get up and serve. And that is the key to all ministry. You as individuals, you as a family, you as single people, whatever God's going to do with you, Carl and Pam, going out to plant into Tenterden and the Weald. You have to know where you're from. And you have to know where you're going. It's a spiritual principle. Next week, we're starting a new series at Gateway um, entitled, Who Am I? It's vitally important we know who we are. Because the world is trying to find out who it is. That's why it's in such a mess. And that's why the gospel is so relevant because the gospel gives us, each of us, our true identity. A fundamental ineffective ministry. We need to know where we're from and where we're going. So that we can press forward into the next thing that God has for us. And it's especially great to welcome the church family from the wheel today. It's great. It's absolutely wonderful to see you There, today. Do read the Old Testament book of the book of Deuteronomy. It's about God causing his ancient people to stop and remember on their journey out of Egypt. They're now been in the desert for 40 years because of disobedience. Disobedience does cause delay. Disobedience does cause delay. But now they're on the verge of entering into the promised land and God under Moses' leadership, causes them to remember where they've gone, what they've gone through, prior to crossing over and going in. Can you see? It's important we remember where we've come from before we go over to the next phase. And today is about two things. It's about you remembering where you're from, and so that you, as a group of people, from uh, God is gathering, yeah, growing and going. It's... It's important for you to know what you're, what you're being baptised into in a way. People baptised into Moses, there's a spiritual truth in there, but I haven't got time to go into it. But the, we need to know what we're part of before we cross over. It is true for us as a church here at Gateway 
because God will do a new thing here as we are giving out. And what God, God has got stuff for us here this year that he couldn't give to us last year. And before we're crossing over as a church at Ashford, because there's going to be more church plants in the coming years, there's going to be more expression and extension into the, king, into the community, into lives. Even today, it's just a wonderful story, is what we've been hearing of God doing great things in lives. It's in lives. We need to know where we're from. And so that's what we're going to do. It's God caused Israel to ancient um, the Hebrews as they went over to Canaan to remember that encounter with God on, on Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given. He calls them to remember that God had provided for them through supernatural provision when they didn't have normal provision, that God provided for them supernaturally with quail and this, this sticky bread that came down from heaven called manna. Manna means what is it? What is it? But it was God's provision. And we've known that as a church, haven't we? God's supernatural provision. And I don't need to keep repeating it, but I will because we need to remember it. We've been given warehouses for one pound a year. And we're still behind on the payments. <laughs> but that's our story, church. God is a supernatural God. And we need to remember his supernatural acts. It ensures that we move forward both in confidence and faith that God is our source. Can you say that, church? God is our source. God is our source. Both for you individually, as a families, and as a church. So what are the spiritual roots of this church? What are you from the world getting involved in? If you're being grafted in, you need to know what you're being grafted into. Not just because Carl and Pam are wonderful people. It's got to be more than that. You're being grafted into a history born by apostolic and prophetic gifting. Now the spiritual ones would say, well, we know what your roots are. It's Abraham and Jesus. And of course you're right. It is. <laughs> we're the children of Abraham and we're here because of the Lord Jesus who was born lived the perfect life, died for our sins, was raised again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of God, and he gives gifts to men. Men in the sense of apostolic, Ephesians 4 giftings, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It's these giftings that Jesus gives as ascended Christ to get the job done. And you know, it's not changed in 2,000 years. Although much church, church tradition would question that. But Ephesians chapter 4, where it talks about Jesus having been raised from the dead, ascended, he now gives gifts to men. Why? To build the church. It's still relevant today. Yeah. It's still relevant today. So how did our movement begin? Well, who was around in the 1960s? No, don't put your hands up. But... Uh, <laughs> You can tell because they've still got flares in their, cup, in, their, um, in their wardrobes in case it comes back round again. Yeah. Kipper ties. Yeah, there's one or two nodding. Brute. <laughs> Who remembers high karate? That, was, that made your armpits burn when you brought that deodorant on, didn't it? It really did. <laughs> Old Spice, yeah, we were there. Um, who remembers some of the bands? Who remembers the Trogs, the wild thing? That's one of my favourites. I'm not going to sing it. In actual fact, I had a picture to show of, you, um, to show of um, me when I was in my 20s with a beard. It was what, when, when men grew real beards, you know. And uh, Sue says, you can't put that on, you can't put that on. And it's just, it's just ugly. <laughs> just, uh. Then I was going to talk about the Trogs, because there's a link there. I was like the Neanderthal man, you know. Otis Redding, do you remember Otis Redding? Yeah. Sitting in the dock of the bay, Beatles Revolution. Boy, did we as a nation need revolution at that time. You see, the 60s, 1960s was a time of change. I've learnt in my study that in the 1960s, there's a, radical, a time of radical change politically in the world. In the 60s, 32 countries 
gained independence in Africa. No, not even Africa. 32 countries gained independence from their European colonial rulers. God was doing something. Because God is a God of history. God can sit in heaven and laugh at what men are trying to do in history. One despot rises up, another one takes his place. God, it says, sits in heaven and laughs. Because God is the Lord of history. The 60s was a time when we were free to drift. In the media, on, 9th of, um, on the 8th of April 1966, the New, the, the New York Times magazine said this. It ran a cover story in it with, a, with, a, with a phrase, Is God dead? That's a Time magazine. Why? Because people will question that God is now dead. He's no longer relevant to society. A previous article in 1965 by the same magazine had investigated a trend among 1960s theologians, wait for it, to write God out of the field of theology. I kid you not. One big lesson from history, it's foolish to write God out of it. You only have to look at the resurrection for that. You can't kill God. They did it once and he rose rose again in three days. And out of the view of the media, there was a profound revolution happening across the Christian landscape, both in the USA and in Europe. During the 60s, so many Christians were coming into a dynamic experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit. You see it in the New Testament. When Paul went to Ephesus, he he asked those um, first Christians, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he said, no. Bang! (laughs) You need the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be dunked in the Holy Spirit. It's not just enough to believe in Jesus. Yeah, that was... That's okay for salvation. That will get your name in heaven. But you have to be equipped with power to transform the world. And there are outpourings of the Holy Spirit happening. Um, Some of you remember the Jesus people. Yeah? Started in Calvary Chapel. That's where, in America. There's just outpourings of the Spirit right across. A whole new generation. And it came across to Europe. My part. I was freshly baptised in the Holy Spirit at 17. I would hunt down any meeting that was speaking in tongues and prophecy. I, just, I would cycle miles and miles to go to a meeting, which we now take for granted. Then we go to church on Sunday, heart bursting with praise, but restrained, restricted from expressing the new life because of a deadening, deadening liturgy. I, like many others, dreamt of a church structure that could, that could be changed. Throwing ourselves into denominational church structures, committee meetings, that's what we were stuck with. Compromise for the sake of biblical unity. Mustn't rock the boat. So we used to sit there in the pews and the hands would try to go up and it's like lifting a tent. Just in case, when the vicar wasn't watching, we'd, you know, we'd go up a bit before. That's, how, that's where we were. That was my battle to raise hands in worship. That was a huge battle. I'd agonise on it for weeks on end. Because the Holy Spirit filled me and I just had to express myself in, in vibrant praise. But the, the denominational scene as it was then... They were predictable and tame. He used to have a, 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 a hymn number board up. Do you remember that? Anybody's been there? <laughs> well, sing number 56 now. I used to worship um, in Leicestershire, the church there. I used to go into, after being baptised in the Spirit, I was so eager to share my faith with people. I'd go into Leicester Market, and each Saturday morning I'd give out tracts. Give out tracks to anybody passing by. You see Gary Lineker's little lad as a young lad. His dad we had a fruit market store. Wait for Mr. Lineker Senior, and I was giving out tracks. I used to say, "Don't look at the church. Look at Jesus," because I was so ashamed of the church, but I was in love with Jesus. 
And I got so sickened by this, I, I couldn't say it anymore. It burned in me deep within. Because I wanted them to say, look at the church, because the church is the body of Christ. There shouldn't be a discrepancy between it. it should be a, um, a church should be a church of power, beautiful glory, intimacy, flexible structures. I dream of churches that emerge with flexible structures to new wineskins to keep that, that freshness that God was doing. Then in the 1960s and early 70s, there's a thing called the charismatic renewal. Um, there's an Anglican vicar called Michael Harper um, who set up a thing called Fountain Trust. Wonderful David Watson, if you've heard of Reverend David Watson, great man of God in the Anglican church. But they, they, having experienced baptism in the Spirit, they wanted to try and renew the traditional church scene. But many recognised it was splitting apart. It was causing division. People would try and stay in there for the long haul. And on a, on a few occasions it's happened. But I longed to have, be a part of a church structure that was... I didn't have to compromise or do mental gymnastics trying to see where it was in Scripture. Then we had the old wine and the new wineskins, by which time the excitement waned. It seemed to have been chiefly because of the continued refusal, refusal by many local church leaders to give freedom to the Holy Spirit in their programs and traditions. There was conflict and tension so you'd have, you'd have afterburner meetings in the evening. <coughs> you'd have four meetings on a Sunday each to um, accommodate each, per, each little group's perspective on how you should do church. That's not unity. The late Dr. A.W. Tozer, he's a name to remember if you've not got any of his books. Actually, can anybody remember Tozer's name? Anybody got it? Can you stick your hand if you know Tozer? Thank you. You see, that's the danger. We're not reading some of these 20th century prophets. But he said this. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, this is where this quote comes from, A.W. Tozer. 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. John Wimber came over from the States, and he spoke at a, a conference down in Brighton that Terry Virgo had organised, and he said, God wants his church back. God wants his church back. The church belongs to him, people. belongs to him. He's the head of the church. His body. Many charismatic Christians were beginning to realise that the change they sought in their local churches and denominations would be a long-term project, not an instant one. I longed with many others for something different. It was a sovereign thing that was happening as I was longing for the same thing, Richard Burgess, where are you Richard, are you around somewhere? Fellow elder and dearly loved. You were longing for the same thing out of Kennington, things were happening there, where a new church structure could facilitate the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Outpourings of the Spirit would, take, um, would be breaking out in various places all over. In the UK, there's a place called Chard in Somerset. Um, in, in this part of the world, there's a place called Aldington. Who knows of Aldington? <laughs> John and Patricia. Talk to John and Patricia what happened at Aldington. People would come from miles and miles around to go to Aldington because they wanted to encounter the Holy Spirit being poured out in baptism of the Holy Spirit. People would come there, go away with their spiritual buckets full. This is, this is our history. And out of um, that, there was a, a, another great movement... Um, uh, uh, linked to it with Barney Coombs, um, the apostolic movement that they, him and his team run. In the 1970s, 
right across the UK it was happening and God was intent on getting his church back. What many of us didn't know at that time, that God was raising up and preparing leaders who would be used to shape these, this new outpouring of the Spirit into church structures that would be biblically based and apostolically founded and resourced. That would not be denominationally bound by rules, regulations and rigidity but shaped according to New Testament principles of how the first apostles planted and nurtured churches. There's a man called Arthur Wallace. Most probably, most of you won't have even heard of this man. But today I want to honour him publicly. He's with the Lord now. He was down in the West Country, uh, a man who longed to see the glory of God in our land. And he gathered a group of young men who he saw God's spirit upon. Um, One of these men was Terry Virgo. There are other men, I won't mention their names. I don't know all of them. There's a group of about 10 to a dozen men. And he invested his life into them, teaching them on how to, um, to build churches biblically, the importance of first principle, the baptism in the spirit, honoring scripture, prophecy. And Arthur Wallace wrote... um, Three very famous books. The Day of God's Power, God's Chosen Fast, The Radical Christian. These are books that changed the church landscape in the United Kingdom and beyond. He's one of, he was one of God's greats. He was a, a, towards the end of his life, I'll tell you what happened at the end of his life. You won't know this, most probably. Oddly, any of you will. He was at a leaders' conference and he'd done all this raising up of new leaders. He preached across the world, written books. And they're at his conference centre and they'll have a game of croquet, you know, that posh game. He wasn't posh, but they had a a, a croquet on this lawn game. And there's a man called Bryn Jones there who led an apostolic movement in the 70s, 80s and 90s. And Bryn Jones shouted out to Arthur Wallace, Arthur, you've won. And that moment, Arthur fell down dead. And he lay on the croquet lawn. And as a shadow of the cross, went across the lawn. I don't know whether it was a tree or something, but it was a shadow of a cross, been sun had set. And he lay at the foot of the shadow of the cross. Arthur, you've won. You are here because of, that's a part of our history, church. We need to honour these men who have fought long and hard to see a better day. And Terry Virgo, um, he looks, look at the hairdo. (laughs) He's just stunning. I think they all wanted to model themselves after Billy Graham, let's be honest. (laughs) But that's young Terry when he got married. Um, they got married at London Bible College. He got married to a lady called Wendy Morgan. And um, um, she was a, um, a very attractive lady, as you can see there. And a lot of young men apparently wanted to marry Wendy. And they went to Wendy and said, God's told me to marry you. And Wendy very wisely said, well, that's great. But when God, tarries, when God tells me, that we'll get married. Um, but God told her to marry Terry. And uh, Terry um, had been at London Bible College, and he would go to hear uh, a man called Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now, please tell me you know Martin Lloyd-Jones. Put your hands where you know Martin Lloyd-Jones. Hallelujah. (laughs) If you don't, you need to read some of his stuff. He was one of Britain's first and foremost Bible expositors, he did an um, expository on um, the whole book of Romans. It's, it's quite superb. And what Martin Lloyd-Jones did, he laid a foundation in many, many men and women's lives, but especially in Terry, who would go, his life, he would go meet with uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones in, in the vestry after his talk um, on a Sunday. Martin Lloyd-Jones... Some of the big things that have, he taught that have affected us is this. Number, I, this is my view. It's only, this is my view of, of New Frontiers, okay. But what I've imbibed is this. From what Martin Lloyd-Jones picked up, 
is that Martin Lloyd-Jones taught and preached that Romans chapter 7, if you know Romans chapter 7, Christians, is not the believer's experience, but the unbeliever's experience. Romans chapter 8 is the, Romans, is the believer's experience. There's a difference there. Where you think Romans chapter, 7, Romans chapter 7 is a believer's experience, it leads to depression, woe is me, I'm useless. But in Romans chapter 8, the difference is being born again and filled with the Spirit. He also taught the importance, the importance and the vitality of the presence of God. Where is the presence of God in the church? We need the presence of God. If God is not with us, we can't go up. We can't go further in this nation. We need churches with the presence of God. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, he preached about baptism of the Holy Spirit as a separate, distinctive experience to that of new birth. And he said, look, baptism of the Spirit, looking at the New Testament, it's something tangible. If you don't, if you've not sensed it, if it's not, if it's, if you've not experienced it, most probably you've not had it. It's something to be experienced, not a mental thing. And these, these things, just observationally, they were, when I've nerfed Terry and how he's preached over the years, these, this burnt into him. That had a profound effect on Terry. And this is our heritage, church. Terry and Wendy went to lead a, a church, Seaford Evangelical Church, um, in their early ministry together on the south coast. And they began to put into practice um, these truths that Arthur had taught them uh, and was teaching them and uh, what Martin Lloyd-Jones and others have preached. Plurality of eldership in the local church. Passion for prayer. Making space for the gift of the Spirit to function in church meetings, to name but a few aspects. Other church leaders were encountering baptism in the Spirit and they were, they were gathering people to them across the south coast at the same time and they began to invite Terry along to speak. And uh, out of that, he translocal ministry developed. He began to form the beginnings of an apostolic team. People like Ray Lowe. Ray's been to us. He'll most probably be coming again at some point. We love Ray Lowe. Um, Dave Holden and uh, Henry Tyler. Um, these are key men that are beginning with Terry. Terry and Wendy then moved to Brighton um, to lead a church at our Hove. Hove, actually. And, uh, and uh, that group of churches emerged. It was called the Coastlands Minis- Coastland Group of Churches. And Darren, you were at Brighton, weren't you? Um, and from which the, the, the Downs Bible Week at Plumpton, um, when they started to gather, how many would it be? Up to 5,000, wouldn't it? It was a good number of people. They had these conventions, and people come from all over England to hear great preaching. There's a man called Ern Baxter. That's just the name. But when that man preached from, from Canada, my heart sizzled. Sizzled with a passion for God. Terry spoke each Bible week. It eventually moved, it got so big it moved to Stoneley, the agricultural ground. 30,000 people, 30,000 of us. That might be Terry telling me you got it wrong. <laughs> it's a phone ringing. That's fine. It's family here. Don't worry, don't worry. It's Doreen, by the way. Just not doing <laughs> You see, what I've just done now, you couldn't do that in some denominational sense, could you? You couldn't do it. It's family. Church is family. What we're going to see now is just a two-minute clip of Terry speaking. It just so happens he's talking about the presence of God going up with us. You see, you can see the link. Just enjoy it, will you? Let's hope it works. (laughs) amongst us as a people. And that's what restoration is all about. These restoration passages, Ezra, Nehemiah, the prophets associated with them, Haggai, Zechariah, much of Isaiah, and other prophets, Malachi, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's the key to the whole thing. 
that God's presence will invade the house. And that's what motivated them. That's what stirred them, that we might have God with us. David longed for the presence of God. Do you long for the presence of God? Do you not find when we're singing these songs here night by night, morning by morning, we just pour into this cow shed. We say, oh, we'll just have half an hour, we'll just sing a few new songs. Before you know where you are, God's all over you. <laughs> God's here. You're being touched by God. You feel your head being anointed. You feel your heart bursting for joy. You think, wow, this is God in this cow shed. Because God's not terribly interested anymore in the actual building because we are His temple. Lively stones being built together as what? A dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Oh, God. Father, we want this place to continue to be a dwelling place for your spirit. And I speak for Carl and Pam and the team there that same would go over, that your glory would go with us, Lord. Oh, God, we thank you for our history and we pray, Lord, you'd make us even thirstier for more. Well, these events kept growing. And now, New Frontiers represents over eight, 850 churches. We've lost, to be honest, we've lost count now. <laughs> I've just lost count. And over 60 nations. So it seems that the strategy that we've had, keeping it biblical, keeping it spirit-filled, Jesus-centred, flexible wineskins, it seems to be effective. On a personal level, Sue and I, um, we came into this from a denominational scene we travel over to Loughborough, 120 miles every, every Sunday morning with our kids in a car, a little 1,300 polo. Loughborough to Norwich. Loughborough to Norwich. Sorry, Loughborough to Norwich. That's a church journey every Sunday morning for a season because we found something we're desperate for. We moved to, to Norwich from Loughborough after seeking advice from Terry because we wanted to have a... This is a verse. We wanted to have a city whose foundations were built in God. We look for. We wanted to sow our lives into something that was founded in God, not on man's cleverness, and it had gripped our hearts. We were at Norwich for thirteen years, working alongside friend Goff Hope, who headed the team. We saw the church resourced, God's supernatural power coming to us. There's a building here, thirty thousand square feet. It just fell into our laps. We had a youth centre, we converted, an Anglican church converted into a multimedia youth centre. Matt Mallet and James Cole will know about this. We used to, used to get them up at 6.30 every Thursday morning in the morning to pray. You were down there for 6.30, weren't you, James? Praying, God, send us money, send us money. This old boy walked in with his, his daughter and he said, Do you know, um, what are you doing? And he said, well, we're we converting this to the youth of the city so we can be relevant. And all this, he said, well, don't you know who I am? I said, no, and... Um, he said, he said, well, I'm going to give you a cheque. He said, daughter, he said, get my chequebook out. And he wrote a cheque out for £1,000 there and then. And I looked at it, and it was Dr. Money. <laughs> we asked for money to come in, and God sent Dr. Money. <laughs> so the next week, James Cole was praying for emeralds and diamonds, I think, <laughs> to come in. <laughs> but it's true, James, isn't it? It is bang on. That's our heritage, you see. This is our heritage. That's your story. Around that time, we did a mission. And people came from all over New Frontiers for a week of mission. And uh, there's this young guy there with, I think he had a Moeekan haircut. <laughs> and uh, uh, we gave everybody on the team 10 quid to go out and uh, witness and bless somebody. And uh, this young guy came back and uh, he brought along two drug addicts along to church who became Christians. And that young man was called Carl. And in that moment, I saw on you, Carl, a great evangelistic gifting, head and shoulders above the rest. And I thought, one day, that guy is going to be a great evangelist. So that's how we first met. You see, you don't know that. You see, the New Frontiers vision statement is this. It's an international family of churches together on a mission to establish the kingdom of God by restoring the church, making disciples, training leaders, and planting churches. 
This is, in the 1970s, the phrase church planting, it was gobbledygook. Nobody ever used that phrase. Terry had recalled that God said that we would gather old bricks that would be built into a new wall. And I thank God for some of these bricks that are here in this church. God has drawn to us with wisdom and grace and experience to help build the wall. Then there's a lady called Jackie Pullinger. Has anybody ever heard of Jackie Pullinger? Wow, what a woman she, she is. She went over to Hong Kong so she felt God um, called her to go on mission. So she went to, a, um, I think it was a Baptist minister. I think she, um, she said, um, I feel called to the mission field and I don't know where to go. And this Baptist minister very wisely said, how much money have you got? And he, she said, so much. She said, well, see how far you can go on that money that you've got. So she ended up in Hong Kong. Ended up in Hong Kong. And she, in the walled city of Hong Kong with all the triads, she was trying to witness to them. And paraphrasing it, if you've got to read her book, Chase a Dragon, she was absolutely rubbish at it. <laughs> so she went to somebody she knew had been baptised in the Spirit, got baptised in the Spirit, started speaking in tongues. She started speaking in tongues ten minutes every day. Within a couple of weeks, she was leading drug addicts to the Lord. She planted a church there. Why? Because of the baptism of the Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. You shall do greater works than me. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. The trouble is, there's a problem now, even in our churches, that just because you can come along and enjoy the life that comes out of us, you can sing the songs. It's even on songs of praise now, the songs we sing. We have to battle for that. You see, you can sing the songs, you can even raise your hands, but you're not baptised in the Spirit. And I challenge you this morning... I know there are people, even in this church, who aren't baptised in the Spirit. Well, how do I get baptised in the Spirit? You have to do it the same way we did. You have to be hungry and thirsty for more of God. More of God. More of God. And if you're still alive and kicking on planet Earth, God's will is that you are filled with the Holy Spirit to be a witness for him. Jackie Pullinger, I believe, when I was there at this meeting down uh, at a conference centre in, in Kent, Terry got the leaders of New Frontiers there. She scared me witless. I looked into her eyes. I mean, she's a scary woman. She's got the most incredible blue eyes. It's like, it's like look, and she's so sold out for God, she doesn't suffer fools gladly. But I tell you what, out of that, there was a DNA planted into New Frontiers for her passion for the poor and the broken. Which was later, um, became a real feature of us in our apostolic mission. But I, th- I think, I trace it back to her impartation by the Spirit upon us as a group of leaders. As our, then a man called Mike Bickle came along to the, 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 the Stonely Bible Week wouldn't agree with everything that Mike Bickle would say, but, but would honour him for his prophetic gifting. And he said, you are go- New Frontiers, the Spirit of God came upon him, he said, the New Frontiers, you are going to change the expression of Christianity across the world. Now that's either of God or it's very arrogant. And we struggled with that. But looking back, as our history unfolded, how did that happen? Well, we saw grace-shaped ch- churches planted from independence to interdependence. We're, we're all for one, one for all. From being democratic to honouring God's gifted leadership. I loved it when one brother came to us. I won't say which one it is, but he knows. But he said, you don't do committees here. You don't vote on things. But you get things done a lot quicker. <laughs> from being cessationists to, to charismatic. We believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. And also Ephesians 4 ministries are for today. They didn't die out with the first apostles. And God has made us an instrument for change globally. And GCA is a part of this, whether it's Ashford, Lille, Ottawa, what you've just been hearing today in that testimony. <laughs> profound. Profound. This is, this is, they, they need to have this played there. Because 
They're a part of our history. We're a part of theirs. Then we closed, when we closed the Stoneley Bible Week, the apostolic team felt it was appropriate to stop it. But it was most successful. Well, the national UK church leaders couldn't believe, why are you closing Stoneley Bible Week? 30,000 people, all the ministry come out of it. No, they felt God say, stop it. That's being led prophetically. And out of that came um, New Day. Who's been to New Day? Kids, young people, yeah, teenagers, yes, yeah. 6,000 people each, young people each year gather to New Day. That's us now. Remarkable healings taking place. People being born again, baptised in the Spirit. People going to the nations on church planting because of New Day. Also in its place was um, an international leadership conference called Together on a Mission at Brighton, the Brighton Conference Centre, where 4,000 people had flown in across the world as the churches grew. That's significant for us because in 2010, I think I got the dates right, Richard, but Richard Burgess and I become friends because um, we, uh, we are part of Ashford Pastors and we've got some, got some dear friends across the leadership of the at churches in Ashford. We've been meeting for years now for lunch, pray together, break bread together. But Richard Burgess said, I'd like to come to the conference with you if that's okay. I said, yeah, great, love to have you along, Richard. And... Uh, God really met with Richard at that conference, didn't he, my dear friend? And he came back, he said, I've got to get in on this. I've got to be a part of this. And we began to walk it through. And, and uh, Ashford Community Church, everybody's individuals came into membership at Gateway Church. We became one. And you can't even see the seam now. Two churches joined. And I'm so glad, Richard, you had the grace. You, your grace and humility to do what you did, it's profound, fella. And Pam, thank you for Eddie and yourselves. Thank you. Laying it down. In order to see for a bigger vision. Because we can do more together than we can do on our own. Richard's grace and humility in doing this in an age where so many leaders would struggle to find such godliness. It deserves recognition. Then news of our first New Frontiers martyrs became a reality. That was being prophetically warned to us by a, a, lady, a prophetic lady called Ginny from Sheffield a year before. There was going to be martyrs and that happened. Can't even say to you where that was. We're not allowed to um, talk about it publicly. It's going to be on the internet. We can't do that. But we've had, as far as I'm aware, two church leaders murdered because of their faith and building churches like this in the globe. That's our history. That's our history. But our vision remains steadfast. God's ultimate purpose is that the church should become a mature man in Christ, a body with all its members functioning. In Ephesians 4, Paul describes how God has purpose for all this to be accomplished through these gifts of apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists and teachers. And we believe the latter glory of the temple will be greater than the former glory. In the, old, in the previous temple, the priest couldn't stand to minister I want more of that, don't you, in 2004. I felt, I felt the Holy Spirit on me today for the first time in a, a month. But I thought, this is good. God, you're here. God, you're here. How are we going to come into unity in the church? Well, if we believe the scriptures, the Apostle Paul says it's through apostolic, prophetic ministry that we get unity, not through committees. God's given these gifts to bring the church into unity. And right across, across the globe now, it's happening. Terry's now meeting with, he's, fight, he's coming back and reporting back to the leaders. He said, there's, there's apostolic movements out there, ten times as big as ours, we knew nothing about. And they're finding one another. There's, there's, a, there's a revolution taking place apostolically across the globe now. 
it's, it's, it's glorious. <laughs> glorious. We're just minnows in this, but we're a part of something, what God is doing in these days. And Terry now facilitates in the UK, he ministers all over the world, but Terry now ministers, um, he, he, he gathers leaders from other streams, other church movements together. I'm not going to say the names, because I don't need to, but I know some of them, and you'd be shocked, the people who he gathers and their fellowship with. It's wonderful. That's unity of the spirit born by apostolic gifting. And back in 2011, the difficult issue over a successor to Terry was raised within our ranks. Because Terry's not a young chicken anymore. And someone, sorry Terry if you listen to this, I'm sure you're not. (laughs) But someone asked Dave Holden, one of Terry's right-hand men, hand men, what we'll do when Terry died. And Dave Dave Holden said, well of course we'll bury him. But it did raise a bigger issue when we face this as a movement, how we're going to replace Terry. And after a lot of um, prayer, the team, and going back to the scriptures, the team felt you can't have one successor for an apostolic movement. It, the only way we can do it biblically is to multiply apostolic teams. And that's what we did. That's what we did as a family of churches. And so in the UK now, um, if you could, there's the apostolic teams multiply. In that, um, Dave Devonish, um, Dave is, is pressing into the Caucasus, um, far eastern countries. I can't say exactly, I'm not prepared to say exactly where they are, but um, parts of Russia and other is, Islamic countries. Dave Holden, uh, he's based at Sidcup. Edward Berea, uh, Kenya. It's all right, is Kenya, is that right? Got that right. Guy Miller down at Bournemouth. Um, Jeremy Simpkins, based out of Manchester. They've got some good works in Canada as well. John Key, uh, um, PP, it's different. And he's in um, um, Ghana. That's right. John's in Ghana. John Lanferman in America. Libra Yarbrough, Mexico. Mike Betts, that's who we're with. He, Mike's based out of Lowestoft. Peter Brooks was at Brighton. Darren knew um, Pete Brooks. He's now on the Pacific Rim in Australia. And Ray Lowe, you know Ray. Uh, um, Scott Marks in Zimbabwe. Stephen Van Rie, South Africa. Steve Oliver, he's now in uh, Dubai. Yeah, and Terry and Wendy Virgo. And it just keeps multiplying. Come on in, guys. We're just rolling up now. So, Mike Betts, we're part of one apostolic family now called Relational Mission, which is led by Mike and his wife called Sue. And uh, these various teams have committed themselves to be working interdependently with one another, which forms a new Frontiers family. Okay? They're watching out for one another's lives, doctrine and use of finances, those as accountability. In March, June and November of this year, Mike has sensed that it's right that we um, do a thing called Enough, where he's going to be gathering the churches to pray for half nights of prayer right across RM. And so we're going over to Maidstone. That was, um, they wanted to do it here as, a, as, as one of the hubs. We felt at the moment not to do that, but to support Maidstone in that. So from 8 till midnight, go over on a Friday night, and uh, there'll be people being beamed in from all over the world. We pray, praise, cheer, news. That's how we're going to do it, within, within relational mission. And so, today is a very special day. As we fire out Carl and Pam into this harvest field. And the difficulty about raising spiritual sons and daughters, is that one day you have to release them. As God gives them new ground to conquer. And the planting into the weald is our story. Even the police are listening in now, it's fantastic. (laughs) In which many of you have played a significant part in the early days. I know Colin Pam would be the first to say this. It wasn't just about them, although they are the, the key... 
the key people in this. But many of you will go over on Sunday afternoons, week in, week out. I'm not going to mention names because you know who you are. But without that, it wouldn't have happened. Without your finance, it wouldn't have happened. That's how we plant churches. Then there's a New Frontiers church over at Chafford 100 have sent these dear people over here. Give us a wave. <laughs> Grab them afterwards. And uh, to, to work alongside. It, it, it's, this, is, this is how we can do it. We can plan more. I've been going through some prophetic words given to our church about as people, you may not even know you are, but I've got the prophetic word over your life that someday some of you are going to leave this and plant churches and you're still sitting here. You may have forgotten, but I haven't, because I've got a little file under P for prophecy. (laughs) (coughs) So, Gateway Church, what are we? We're an Antioch-style church. Sounds fancy, but basically, we're ascending church. And as in Acts chapter 13, where it says, when they're Antioch, and the Holy Spirit is a person. He said, separate from me Paul and Barnabas for the works that I've got for them. And it seemed good to everybody else. And we're now at that point as a church where we know the Holy Spirit has said, separate for me the work that Carl and Pam, and I need to say and family, <laughs> for I've got a work for them. And I want to say this to you. God is separating you. God the Holy Spirit for the work. There's a work that only you can do and there's a work for you to do and you'll do it. You will do it because the Holy Spirit is behind all this. And the evidence of that is the number of people that have come here today from the wheel to support you, Carl and Pam. And we're thrilled to see that. And the wheel of Kent... Carl, go get them. (laughs) And see a church that's built to his praise and glory. Amen.